You are listening to the sounds of trombonist Reggie Watkins. I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Thanks for being here on The Playful Musician. I'm so excited to bring to you this week the trombonist out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Reggie Watkins. Reggie and I go way back. We're good friends, and we actually share a story about the last time we were together, which was quite some time ago in Austin, Texas, which is pretty fun. Reggie also talks about the beginnings of his career, how he got his start out in the cruise ship circuit, and how that led to him practicing a ton and meeting a bunch of great musicians, and then how he joined Maynard Ferguson's band, a critical and pivotal moment in his career that opened even more doors for him, including getting to play and tour and record with Jason Mraz. He shares a lot about what that was like going on those big tours, being on those big stages, and how he keeps it all in perspective. Reggie also shares about what he did over the pandemic. A large part of that was diving back into the piano where he started his musical journey and how he's looking forward to the coming year for new performances and new opportunities and why he feels such a calling to be in Pittsburgh and get back to the community that's given so much to him. We had a great chat and there's some really good clips from Avid Admire and his other album, One for Maynard, One for Miles. Please enjoy my conversation with Reggie Watkins. Welcome to The Playful Musician. I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? Thanks again, and without further ado... Here is this week's episode. Reggie, welcome to the Playful Musician. So good to see you, man. Steve, good to see you too. Thank you. Uh, we were before recording. We, you were mentioning the last time we saw each other was in Austin, Texas. I'm trying to remember, like, we crossed paths when that was <laughs> in Austin, and um, I think we ended we up at the Elephant Room. Maybe that's where yeah. we linked up. I think so. Maybe it was my gig or a just the session or something. Yeah, I think there was some burning young alto player mm. that I remember. Or maybe that was some other time. But uh, I was there. Yeah, we ended up. So we were both flying out the next day, and ended <laughs> right. up splitting a hotel. This is Steve room Davidson right. with the playful costs, musician and my yes. very special guest. This musicians week, do yeah. bonus out of made Pittsburgh, the best of it. Yeah, Pennsylvania. That was cool. Reggie now, you lived Watkins. in Austin for a, a stretch, right? Yeah. I, Reggie made a name for years. for himself with the Maynard Ferguson mm-hmm. band. And, um, 
And then I moved was down on there for maybe four years to play I with Jason down Moran. There about a year before I moved lived in Austin for a stretch. Yeah, and, and uh, while he was, was with great. Jason Moran, was a great scene. And I had hooked up made his with way back um, to Pittsburgh. He felt a horn section, a musical in calling, Austin. and a pull back the groove line horns to get back to the community. Okay. And at that time, so they had um, as he was they growing had, up, they were working with Jason Moran. The right singer songwriter in our interview we talk yeah. about and, uh, so those I early up, days you know, and his cruise ship joining experience section for a how he got into maynard's band what led him out of austin to play yeah. my with wife the horn and i section moved down there had Jason our first Raz's child band. in austin what he's up to mm-hmm. these and, days uh, how yeah. he approaches our way back practicing, to practicing what he's listening to yeah and you'll hear which part of austin were you in well we you know it was great for miles one for maynard and you'll also hear tour from his 2016 album Avid admirer. Exactly. Reggie and I go way back, and we had a real ball just reconnecting and chatting about into downtown. So we were right (laughs) in the middle of the Austin vibe. It was a joy reconnecting with him. So cool, and um, I'm sure. Of course, now it's. I was just there in December with trombonist Reggie Watkins. It's crazy, like real estate. It was, you know, when I was there, it's, it's, they've been singing the same song even through, let me see, I started going down there in 2008 and that's right when the financial crisis hit. Right. But it didn't affect their real estate trajectory. It kept growing and growing and it's just, you know, where I used, where I lived there on Congress used to be farmland at a certain point, not too long ago. And it's just, Mm -hmm. that city just expanded. All the way yeah. down to like San Marcos, up to Round Rock. It's just like it's a huge expanse. You can drive yeah. an hour in Austin and still be in <laughs> right. Austin. Yeah. Were you plugged into the local music scene as well? Yeah, I was working. You know, I would book my own group at the the Elephant Room mm-hmm. and the Horn Section. Um, I did a lot of stuff in the Horn Section, but then, uh, yeah, the the jazz thing was happening there because you had you know like you know some really good elias haslanger is there he's a saxophonist mm-hmm. that i worked with maynard ferguson's man also yeah. uh um red young i mean a whole bunch of great musicians there dr polk all, all kinds andre yeah. hayward is there now um so i yeah. i always i always participated in the jazz scene mm-hmm. and uh and other local things yeah festivals <laughs> yeah south by, south by southwest yep. yeah it's interesting because right, i find it interesting because you know austin is a kind of uh country music mecca i mean you know william elson moved there from from nashville and um and also where you grew up was kind of a country music in wheeling yeah right? wheeling wheeling west virginia from what I understand, was it was known as uh, Little Nashville, mm-hmm. and I actually grew up next door to some regional celebrities, um, Doc and Chicky Williams, singers, mm. country artists, yeah. kind of public figures. Um, yeah, and so yeah, we that was that was that is a country music town that did Jamboree in the Hills for years, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, Austin is too, but then you go to Austin, you learn about Western swing, you learn about mm-hmm. the Latino uh, influences there, Mexican primarily. Yeah. Um, and and lo and behold, a great jazz scene. Yeah. You know, 
Right, right. So Texas so, has a yeah. tradition of producing great jazz musicians. Right, well, north of there, right? Um, well, also and, Houston as well. Oh, Houston, yes. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Crusaders, right? Crusaders, um, lots of people. Roy Hargrove. Um, oh, right. You know, uh, the, the Texas tenor thing. There have been so many great musicians to come out of Texas. But Houston, Houston had a lot of, lot of cats and different yeah. styles. Yeah. Yeah. This is so true. So when, when you know, I don't, I don't really put jazz and Wheeling, West Virginia together. Yeah. <laughs> was there, was there much, like, how did that, um, how did that, happened for you i mean you had your neighbors who i'm I'm imagining exposed you to music and you were around some a lot of live music but where did the jazz piece come in well i was you know i ended up in the band program but i never saw myself uh as a musician but i Mm -hmm. i had um i had an epiphany moment with jazz yeah and what uh, was that and that was okay we're gonna have all the i think it was we're gonna bring all the band kids not you know Everybody's going to come into the band room to watch and listen to the jazz ensemble. Mm-hmm. So these are the seniors in the jazz band. They're playing Basie or you know a night and two whatever arrangements right. they had. But it, it was a good band. And um, so all of a sudden, in that moment, I saw myself as you know, I just I, I, something grabbed me about the music. And I just, from that moment, I'm still kind of on that same wave from that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, it just sucked me in and gave me purpose. I see. You know, and... Um, yeah. And, but I had to, I had to figure out how I was going to, and this is the, the tricky part, to get <laughs> off of the tuba, which I was at that point a tuba player, <laughs> and move my way into something to the jazz ensemble. So I, I mm-hmm. did make this, my second year in high school, I was in jazz ensemble on valve trombone. Mm-hmm. And um, later I wanted to go to music school and they said, well, okay, you're going to have to be a euphonium major or a trombone major. So <laughs> right. I, uh, I made it, I had made the conscious decision just to go to slide trombone. Right, and then I was about sixteen. I started trying to shed that because before you know, it's like a second language. But before then, I started yeah, on trumpet, and then right. I went to tuba. So I was a valve player. Yeah, your valve, valve player. trombone was great, but I like you know, I like the trombone. I was listening to trumpet players and trombone players. So, but yeah, that's that's kind of how I found my way to it, and it, it's all because of music education. I had a good director in high school and in junior high that gave us. Um, you know, obviously, not every kid will turn out to be a jazz musician, but the we had access to the information and the music, and they were teaching improvisation and wow. you know jazz theory. My senior year was great to prepare for music school because we had one of my courses was a was a uh, jazz theory class. So that was just that I was in the right place at the right time. Mm. and um that's you know you're looking like coming into high school like what am i going to be when i grow up where am i going to go <laughs> right. is it military what it what is it you know yeah. so the music the music thing just became very clear at a certain point well how fortunate to have that in the public school that's great yeah and i really i mean you, i credit to the, those individuals mm-hmm. you know those band directors that we take for granted 
you know yeah. it's like they they're the reason you think of your favorite musicians and somebody nurtured and mentored them right you know even miles davis i mean everybody had somebody to carry them or, or support them in into the the first chapter of, of of the of the journey right right and then where did you go to university west in virginia Pits- oh, west virginia okay west virginia university yeah and they had a big band they had a big band mhm they sure did um and i did my i did my thing there and I, I, my teacher was great he was a uh, who was it his Richard Powell, who okay. was a student of Donald Reinhardt. Okay. Now, if you're into brass pedagogy, you that name would ring a bell because he's uh, he invented the pivot system. Okay. And so he, you know, and was in the Philadelphia uh, Orchestra. So, um, Dick Powell studied studied under him. Um, and then I I had other I had other great influences there as well. I had Curtis Johnson was a saxophonist, very well known in this mm-hmm. area. And um, he was mentoring me from an early age all the way into West Virginia University and beyond, you know. Um, But then also in Morgantown, I found uh, an unexpected mentor in Kevin Fryson. He was a, he's passed, but he was a uh, bass player, band leader, composer. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so there was a group of us that, that he mentored. Okay. In the old school way. (laughs) <laughs> you know what i mean i mean we weren't we weren't pampered or coddled it was yeah like, it was like you know you know you hear the buddy rich stories and that resonates with me <laughs> from that experience you know but we learned a lot and so that i really credit that morgantown experience although you know i i got a lot out of it i mean i suppose i could have been in new york or at berkeley or something um i don't know if i, I could have gotten into those schools but but you know I think West Virginia was just the right thing at the right time. Mm-hmm. And again, the mentors, yeah. you know, the older musicians and educators, um, they're, they're the ones that, that really made it happen for us. Sure. Was your, is your um, family musical? I mean, I know Liz is a, your mom is a fan of music, but. My mom is also, Liz is musical. She yeah. plays the harmonica very well. Really? <laughs> and she used to play the accordion and she okay. plays the piano. So she loves music very much and um she was raised as a Mennonite, so in their environment the music was, you know, I think the music was, you know, was um restricted. Mm-hmm. And when we came along, she wanted to give us a musical education, exposure to things, taking yeah. us to the symphony, making sure that we had access to join uh, band programs and stuff like that. So she she's really, you know, she's, <laughs> uh, you can blame Liz for Olga and I becoming musicians. Yeah, so your, your sister is a musician also. Yeah, Olga's a great singer. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's, she's a singer. She, has her, she had her own band in Pittsburgh for many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you guys play together ever? Uh, yeah, from time to time. We yeah. certainly do, but um, I mean, we're just kind of in two different you know, worlds. Worlds, so. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, how did um, so you graduated? Did you get your undergrad in West Virginia? I didn't. Well, so I left early. Um, yeah. Because Morgantown was, you know, 
starting to, uh, you know, it's, it's college was dragging on and I was <laughs> like, I was a performance major, you know, so yeah, I, yeah. So then I got a gig um, fronting a quartet on a cruise ship. Oh, okay. Which and cruise line do you remember? Princess. Okay. And so, I mean, I'm from Wheeling. I was going to school in Morgantown. You know, there's that idea that you'll never get out of West yeah. Virginia. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we got this gig, and and the gig, although a cruise ship gig has pros and cons, um, the, you know, the pros are... So I, I was able to learn a million tunes. Mm -hmm. And I also, you know, had to learn um, right off the bat how to front a band and sing as well. So I was singing and playing Oh, trombone. you were singing? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I'd sing and play trombone and, you know, pre-internet, of course, you know, we had to learn tunes. It was interesting learning tunes because there, there was a certain amount of fake books on board um, if you couldn't, if you couldn't find what you needed, um, you could go to an older musician and get them to, you know, cause those guys, they just memorize tunes. You know? Right. So yeah. they would um, teach you. I mean, somebody my age shouldn't know the words to sentimental journey, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that, that turned, that was the good thing I got. I got experience. You know, I got yeah. to I got to live my dream because part of my dream was to become a professional musician. You know, you don't uh, you know you don't always have the highest expectations for yourself, but that right. to me was a great baseline starting point was to make a living from playing music, and and so although not ideal, um, artistically obviously, but there there I was in my early twenties um, traveling the world, which also the travel part of it became a big thing for me as well I yeah really enjoy traveling where did the where did the ships go so i had three contracts the first one was a six-week contract in alaska okay so i got to go to skagway and juno and all these different places in alaska and vancouver mm -hmm. canada the second cruise was a 105-day cruise around the pacific rim Wow. <laughs> so our last stop in Alaska before we crossed the Pacific Ocean was in a place called Unalaska, Alaska. If you look in <laughs> on a map at the Aleutian Islands, you'll see it there. Huh. We crossed the Pacific, and our first stop after that was in Vladivostok, Russia. And then we just snaked our way down all through the Pacific, Asia. I mean... Um, Lots of places, but the South Pacific, Tahiti, those kind of Bora Bora, those kind of places, Indonesia, and that the end of it was um, five stops in Hawaii. Oh, cool! And then another five days across the ocean back to LA, and that was it. Yeah. And then my last cruise was five months in the Caribbean. Okay. <laughs> so I got a really good in two years. I played a gig practically every day or five mm -hmm. sets yeah, and, um, and had the ability to just, just circle the globe. Yeah. And it was, that was, that was an amazing experience. Yeah. Opens your eyes. <laughs> I bet. You, you start to understand people on a different level, you know, suddenly you're speaking Spanish, you mm -hmm. know, just out of necessity and mm -hmm. you, you, you know, you're just seeing, you're just seeing things and it's you know, so by the time I was 24 or 25, I had done that. 
That's so, awesome. Yeah. You must have been really fit. Like your chops and everything. You must have like been like all that well, playing. <laughs> you know, yeah, yes and no. Because there were times if you were not practicing, even though you're playing those gigs all day, it's not mm -hmm. enough. You know, but then when I find a groove and would be practicing, because there's a lot of distractions. Yeah. Um, you know, ports. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the gig itself is a dist distraction from practicing. But then yeah. there were other times when um, I would, you know, be actively practicing. And that's that's really when it paid off. Yeah. Would but, you be transcribing? Like, what would, your, what would you be practicing? Well, I, I was so young then, so I still had all my college materials, and I had real books and stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. So I remember and also linking up with practice partners. Um, a friend of mine, Chris Goodman, and I started practicing a lot, and we would go to um, a space in the ship where there was nothing happening at that part of the day, meet up, mm -hmm. learn tunes together, that kind of sure. thing. Sure. Yep. Right. And you play piano also right yes yep did that help you as a jazz musician 100 percent. yeah i you know i had piano lessons when i was six i cried my way out of lessons they let me quit <laughs> but then that was the you know piano held the door to having a perspective into jazz music because one of the things my my high school director told me he said look here's here's this is called lead sheets this is a real book. Sit down, try to play the bass notes in your left hand, and try to play the melody in your right hand. Once you get that, then you can fill in the harmony. And you can see here, this is E minor. This one says A major. You have mm -hmm. to, you know, so all those are corresponding. And just, he gave me that. And then I was able to get some pretty quick results because I had a little bit of technique already. Yeah. Um, and that furthered in college. And then I, ultimately, I played in some bands. Um. And then mm -hmm. fast forward to the pandemic. <laughs> right. I started practicing more piano. Really? So now, yeah, I really started practicing piano because I wanted to come out of the pandemic and be able to play trio where I could play piano with a bass player and drummer and also play trombone and have a um, chordless trio. You know, so to, you know, oh, I, awesome. I saw I was inspired by Nicholas Payton. Who does was doing the same thing? And matter of fact, he was the first that that I know of when the pandemic hit to immediately start um, doing uh, live streams. Okay. Um, wow. And he would do them, you know, in that format where it's just you know him and one other person or two other people play keys, play the trumpet. So that was inspiring. But uh, yeah, I just you know we all had the time to do something. So <laughs> yeah. Right, got to do some, you know, thirty minutes of scales. Why not? <laughs> right, <laughs> no gigs. Where who who are some piano players that um, you really enjoy, or that you kind of model your playing your piano your approach mm. on piano after? Is there anyone? Yeah, um, I mean, I you know you get you get. You get inspiration from everybody, you know. I mean, you can't become anybody, but you listen right. to Chick Corea or Wynton Kelly or anybody like you, you. There's things about them that are a part of me because I've listened and pick pick some things out of what they're doing. Um, currently, I'm super inspired by my my friend and uh, and uh, family, Orrin Evans. Mm-hmm. 
And so, um, his, he's a force on the scene. I've got, I've gotten to play in his band. So I'm doing work with his Captain Black big band. Right. And other things over the past four or five years. Um, and as, in terms of somebody who's on the scene today, he's very, been very much an inspiration to me because mm. I think for a lot of us, he exemplifies what it is we're going for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, there's a lot of freedom there, but there's, I mean, there's just a lot going on. There's, a, it's just a, this, I don't know, it's this perfect balance of chaos and freedom and tradition and just everything. So it's, it's hard to explain, but he's mm-hmm. been a big influence um, to me here in the, in the recent future over the past four or five years. How did it, how did you guys hook up? Well, um, interesting, Oren's wife is my wife's first cousin okay <laughs> so when we first met um it was just on those bases of right. hey this is you know so um after you you know we knew each other when we first met we really didn't know each other i had never heard of him he had never heard of me and we were kind of like, oh he's a musician mm-hmm. um eventually we started doing some things together. I asked him on to, uh, he's on my last record. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Avid Admirer. It's a tribute to trombonist Jimmy Nepper. But so there was some quintet things and there was, you know, I had him on some things. He had me on some things. And then I started getting called in to do his Captain Black big band. And um, that's mm-hmm. been amazing. Yeah. It's been to be in that community and to even aside from playing just to be in the room and experience what's happening there. Right. But then on top of that, to be, to, to be involved in it is really amazing, you know? And we did an album put out and he, he released an album in 2020, Captain Black Big Band, got a Grammy nomination. Mm. And, uh, it was just, just a great thing to be a part of. That sounds awesome. And funny story about that session. Yeah. <laughs> The recording is, session? The recording session, the process, because we went to New York, we rehearsed, you know, recorded and all that stuff. But in the rehearsal, um, I'm sit, sitting there in awe of this, uh, 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 of the whole thing. And Oren says, can somebody jump on keys so I can conduct this? So I, I said, yeah, I'll, jump, I'll try. So I jumped on keys. Mm-hmm. And we played the tune. And after the tune, he goes, you're playing keys on the record <laughs> on this tune. <laughs> You know, and that's a kind of spontaneous type, and and it happened. I also I took a Fender Road solo on the chart. Oh, on, fun uh, on the record on his record, which is like, <laughs> you know, if Oren Evans is allowing me to play a twelve bar solo on his record, I mean, it's, I, who am I not to try to sharpen my blade a little bit here? Sure. You know? So. I love playing piano. It's not as much of a mind trip as a trombone because you, th- you know, every <laughs> single day we're, I'm doing lip slurs and long tones, mm-hmm. and, and um, you, you have to do that stuff on piano as well. But it's just in my mind, it's more of a fun thing, you know. But I've yeah. just decided to take it more seriously. From his 2016 album Avid Admirer, here's a bit of Cunning Bird. Thank you. 
you meet Maynard like how I'm curious what led you to the Maynard band like what was the progression there okay so the Maynard Ferguson band was mostly younger guys in their 20s some in Mm -hmm. their 30s um and once somebody made it onto the band then another seat would open up and Maynard and management would say hey who do you know from your neck of the woods Okay. So, so, you know, there's been times when you have a lot of West Coast people or a bunch of people from North Texas or, you know, I was part of a wave of Pittsburgh musicians coming through hmm. the band. Okay. Which started with bassist Paul Thompson and David Throckmorton. And those are the guys that recommended me onto the band. Hmm. And then I recommended some Pittsburgh people mm-hmm. moving forward. Brian Wolf. Um. Brian Stahersky, Rick Matt, some, you know, handful of people who came on. And that's Did the way it to, worked. Yeah. yeah. Was there an audition? Your first your first week on, on the road. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, I, I got the call 10 days before and I got all these charts. So I'm just, I just, you know, I worked on the stuff as best I could. And and basically, you know, they had this saying like, hey, how's, 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 uh, how's Reggie play? Or whoever, and you know, if they say the jury's still out, that means the boss hasn't decided <laughs> <You know? laughs> if, he, if he's going to stay or not. But yeah, so you, that's the way it works. There's no time for auditions. There were audition tapes that were sent in to them. Sure, so they definitely most of the time sent on a pile of audition tapes. But um, my audition was going out, and if you know that first tour was three mm-hmm. and a half months. Do you remember the first gig? Uh, Alamogordo, New Mexico. <laughs> first gig. And, my my first roommate it was uh, Alf, uh, Adolfo Acosta, the trumpet player, who has mm-hmm. now been in Tower of Power for probably twenty years. Right. Yeah. What What sticks in your memory about that gig? Were you Was it Were you nervous or was oh, it my fun god. or like? <laughs> oh my god! I, I was so nervous. It was it was it was like a dream come true for me. Sure, like I went from having no money in college to then like this cruise ship experience, which again I didn't take a fourth contract because I, I you know I didn't want to stay out there. Now I'm on the road with Mayor Ferguson. My third gig is in Vegas. My second gig was at the House of Blues in L.A. Um. So it was a dream come true, but that I remember that first gig, I was super, super nervous. And, um, you know, you know, before I was in the band, there was a really great trombone player from the Chicago area named Tom Garling. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about really big shoes to fill as well. So that added to the nerves, not (laughs) to mention standing there with Maynard Ferguson at the two front microphones. 
And Maynard had these, Maynard loved Indian culture, Eastern religion. He would go to India every year, every summer mm-hmm. he would go to India. Wow. To the ashram of Sai Baba and teach music, learn music, stay there, you know. Um, but so he would, he liked things in his book. They started coming up with things that were um, Indian fusion things, jet fused with jazz. So at the time yeah. we were doing this piece called Misra de Nuka. And, um, and it's like you play the you play it live. It's thirty minutes because there's all this droning, and then <laughs> right. it goes into six eight, and then there's a, a open piano solo, and then it goes into four four. Mm. Um, and so it's this big epic piece. And I went. I was so nervous. I went out there to to in rehearsal on this high school stage, and um, we played it. And then eventually, you know, halfway through it, Maynard cuts off the band, and. It goes, Ed, that's his manager. He said, Ed, how come you didn't tell me this guy was Indian? (laughs) And that was his way of saying, relax. You sound fine. You're doing great. I just want you to have a good time. You know when he's cracking a joke, you Mm -hmm. know? (laughs) You know, because when I'm there trading with him in a mode that I had never played Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know right. this Indian raga, it's <laughs> yeah. minor mo with a flat two and a major seven, and sure, and uh, trying to figure that out. And then he was just—he's just such a warm, welcoming person. Yeah, you know, Maynard was That's... great. Everybody who was on the band, you know, loved to be around him. So yeah. So what was the? It. Who else was in the brass section? So you had. Um, Adolfo Acosta, mm-hmm. who went on to become a, a Tower of Power. Tower Mike, of Power. Mike Bogart, also Tower of Power. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at, at the time, and then there was Frank Abrahamson. He's, uh, he was on Third Trumpet. And Mike Debanowitz on alto saxophone. And um, Mike MacArthur on tenor saxophone so the instrumentation there was three trumpets plus maynard the fourth trumpet mm-hmm. more like the vocalist you know yeah and then two saxes one bone um, wow and so the rhythm section rhythm section at that time was david throckmorton paul thompson and earl mcdonald yeah very cool yeah it was a good band and you were in that band for a long time yeah yeah, I've done a super long stint, you know. Started doing some arranging. Um, How did that come about? Did Would Maynard encourage you to do that, or did you every, just start? It was wide open. Anybody want to bring in a chart, bring in a chart. A great opportunity for writers. Yeah. So I had this version of The Girl from Ipanema mm-hmm. that... Um, I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I'll try to get this into the book. Um, and I, you know, at the time I was thinking, well, let me, let me, let me at least do one. You know, I mean, I'm, yeah. maybe I won't be Tom Tom Garling and Dennis DePazio. <laughs> These guys, like Chip McNeil, they they write so well. And I thought, well, if I can do something that, you know, and then there are other cats that just have one chart in the book. You know, mm-hmm. but this, you know, the legacy of guys like Tom Garling was like, oh my god. But um, I just thought, you know, let me just write it so it'll work. And then it worked really well. And he basically played it on every show for the rest of his life almost. You know, wow. Because it just, I, I kind of figured out what would work for him and it and, and was able to make that come across in that 
in, sure. in that arrangement. That must have felt great to hear him hear him playing your chart. Oh my God, you can't imagine. <laughs> I, I I mean, it was just. <laughs> and then uh, that thing continued. I wrote some more charts for the man. We did an album with Diane Sure. Mm. Um, produced by Phil Ramone at Capitol Records, and I got to write for that, and that's a moment that sticks out to me. Like you said, to hear them, we recorded this Besame Mucho tune, mm -hmm. and um, Diane just nailed it. Like the band, we were just, the band was already had rehearsed it in Europe because we came straight out of a European tour. Mm -hmm. um, so that like, it just went really well. And then just, I was standing in, we were in, you know, studio a at Capitol records, standing there, Diane and Maynard with these big smiles on their face, Phil Ramone, <laughs> the entire band and management in the booth, listening to the playback on that. And it was just, that was, you know, how gratifying I was like, I'm going to remember this moment, <laughs> you know, because it was just incredibly gratifying to see them happy and that, and it's kind of like, whew, I got it done. You know, I'm past it. Yeah. There's no, you know. Yeah. I'm sure that you, I mean, obviously you learned a ton being on the road with Maynard, but is there one thing that sticks out either musically or as a performer that, that really has stuck with you from that experience or from him in, in specifically? Well, you know, the, 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 the more time goes on, I think I'm realizing that most of the, the things that are impactful and lasting are come out of gratitude. Mm. And I, I'm realizing that the older I get, it's the people that are, you know, Maynard once said to me, you know, at, we were sitting in some airport. I mean, <laughs> the traveling was brutal. <laughs> yeah. And, and he said, he said, well, Reg, he said, uh, he said, it's not that bad. He said, always remember, we could be pulling sheetrock off the back of a truck. Perspective. And it's like, you know, and um, so, you know, it, it, I've been in other situations where the leader wasn't quite so enlightened, <laughs> you know, but for Maynard, he would, uh, he wouldn't, you know, he was always one to go with the flow. I just, I, I sense his gratitude. He wanted to play, you know, I saw mm -hmm. Maynard go on stage in a wheelchair with his feet or completely inflamed with gout and mm -hmm. his left arm was in a cast. He'd broken his wrist Ouch! and he, he still played the gig. <laughs> wow. They said, and now Concord jazz recording artist Maynard Ferguson. Here they roll him out in a wheelchair and set him in front of the microphone. He played the gig. I saw him do it in Pittsburgh too. Same thing, the gout thing, excruciating mm. pain. Still got to stage and played the gig. So it, it, there's something to be learned from that. Mm. Um, the love of music, um, the understanding that it's not going to last forever and that you shouldn't take this work or this process for granted. You shouldn't, you know, appreciate right. the opportunities that we have. Absolutely. Great. So lesson. I think out of that, you know, for me playing a club or a high school or Madison square garden, it's all kind of the same. Mm -hmm. And it's all great. Yeah. It's all an opportunity. It's all an opportunity. It's all, you know, you're just, you're just a vehicle for the music to come through, you know? So, um, but that's a beautiful thing. And, and so, yeah. 
yeah, I get I, I get nervous a little bit at times, but it's not because of the size of the venue or anything. You know, it's just like they all are in the same category for me. Yeah. You still get nervous. Oh yeah. I want it to go well. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, I don't like the feeling of being on stage and not being prepared. Not, I, mm. I don't mean in, in overly prepared. Like, I just want to do my due diligence so that I can let go and try to make some music. You right. Know? Um, so I just, it's more like butterflies. I don't know if it's nerves. It's definitely <laughs> yeah, yeah. not anxiety. It's just like, right. it, it's like, it may be excitement. Yeah. Have you ever gotten a last minute call to do a, a pretty big gig. Yeah. Yeah, I have. Tell us, tell me about that. Um, <laughs> or tell me one of them. <laughs> if you can think of one. Yeah. Well, you know, we got, when I was working in Austin, we got a call from uh, another Austinite, uh, Gary Clark Jr. Mm-hmm. And said, so he, and this was like maybe a day or two before the run. And he said, they, the management said that, um, we want you guys to come out, and do the talk show circuit this week. <laughs> so next thing you know, we were on Conan, Leno, Fallon, all within mm-hmm. the same week. And it was just like, and then the week was over. Wow. You know, but that was, yeah, that was a last minute. <laughs> That's something you're like, yeah, I can do it. Yeah, I can do sure. it. Sure. Yep. <laughs> how did the Jason Mraz, how did that all come together for you? Well, let me start here. The Maynard Ferguson experience provided um, an opportunity for me to go around and meet people, network, Mm -hmm. sit in, and expand my kind of um, relationships, you know. And so I I spent, we kept going back to Austin, and I hooked up with um, those guys there, Carlos and Fernando, and... um, you know, did some work. I did some work. Carlos mixed and co-produced my first record, et cetera, et cetera. Eventually, again, I'm mm-hmm. on their mind. So I got, we, I was working with them on different projects, but then it said, hey, we need you. We would want to see if you want to come out, join this action, do this work. We've got these other things going on. So mm-hmm. they were hooked up with Jason Mraz um, kind of at the, at the height. I mean, I came in the same year he... Uh, uh, released his big tune, I'm Yours. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got other big tunes, but that's the big one. Right, that's the big single. I don't know the stats on it, but it's it, there's things like, you know, 100 weeks at number one or something, you know, ridiculous like that. Right. Um, so I, you know, I came on and just saw him and his organization grow um, from the time I got there. Mm-hmm. So really, you know, I credit it to, again, the opportunity of Maynard allowing, you know, giving me on the bus and we go around, make these different relationships. And out of that, I worked with the Austin guys and then they were, they had hooked up with Jason and eventually they gave me a call. Right. Mm-hmm. And you were, how long were you touring with uh, Jason Rath? It was about six years. Wow. Through several album cycles and tours, you mm-hmm. know. What were the tours like? Uh, the tours were a little bit nicer than the Maynard tours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The hotels had more stars. Right. You know, there were more buses. Mm-hmm. But um, 
a tour, the vibe of the tour is handed down from the leader. Like, you know, if the leader is, um, you know, a loose cannon or a negative person, that's, you know, that's going to blanket the tour. So I've had the, yeah. I've had the um, good fortune of being with, with Maynard and Jason who were both beautiful cats. So yeah, um, the tours were, were great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, who was the music director for Jason? Were, was it one of you guys? When I started, there was no music director for Jason. Okay, he, it was just a band. I mean, he was coming. Jason started in coffee shops in San Diego, and right. and gigs. And then next thing you know, he's on his way to stardom. And um, so there was no musical director. Later, he appointed musical directors, kind of for a specific tour. His band didn't mm. always stay the same, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, so it just it would change. He's he's very capable of directing it by himself. You know what I sure. mean? He knows what he wants, yeah. and he's he plays guitar, so he understands the structure of his songs more than anybody. Right. So it was would nice guys, to support him. Would you guys um, create the horn horn parts together? Or would he? How much influence would he have over that? Or would it was he a just mixture like, oh, of things. That's cool. I mean, a lot of times we would just independently write the stuff, either individually or as a section. And other times, Jason would say, "Oh, we want," or he would say, "Hey, can you do this right here?" Da 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 da. You know, okay, sure, yeah, of course. And uh, and so in a working environment, you know, uh, it's, it was sometimes he would say, "Okay, let's see what you got. Bring something in." And um, mm-hmm. so yeah, we did we did quite a bit of that. But yeah. that was a pop gig, so everything we did, we would memorize. We would never have, sure, you know, anything on right. stage. Yeah. Was it a trip to play those like arenas or those really large venues? Look out and see, yeah, that many people. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was a trip. I, my first, my first um, experience seeing that many people in front of me was sitting in with dave matthews band in Mm. pittsburgh okay my friend ian gordon played the trumpet he's from charlottesville like those guys so he knew roy and these other guys and they wanted to come he said so they're gonna hook up do you want to sit in uh and then ian asked me to sit in so next thing you know and i have i had already played quite a bit with maynard ferguson i think yeah, I I think this was right after Maynard passed. I mean, I had done a lot of shows and stuff, but now we walk on a stage with thirty thousand people in front of you, right? And then we play the gig. You come off, and you've got twenty five text messages on your phone. <laughs> right. So, so, but we did a bunch of those big shows with Jason, including Wrigley Field, yeah. and you know, wow. Um, Lots of festivals, the Gorge, Red Rocks, just all kinds of great venues. Um, but at some point, like I said, all the gigs have the same weight for me, so that mm-hmm. that it it's still exciting. It's still like, oh my god, you know. But it right. <laughs> doesn't really affect what's happening on stage. Yeah, you know. Yeah, still I, I think music. I think you have to shrug some of that off when you're on stage because you can't you can't have the outcome of your performance affected by how exciting the activity <laughs> right. is in front of you. Right. You know? Yeah. So you kind of go yeah. into a space when I'm on stage. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. 
so then what led you back up to to Pittsburgh and that area though what what drew you back hmm. home well we were um about to have our second child mm-hmm. um but aside from that that was one of the things that kind of locked it in but aside from that I have a I felt a connection to the Pittsburgh jazz scene mm. the fabric of yeah. it i came up when i grew up in wheeling the city to me was pittsburgh so i you know i wanted i knew about roger humphreys and jimmy ponder and, mm-hmm. um gene ludwig and all this uh, all these al dow all the uh, all the pittsburgh musicians so you know i became attached in morgantown where i went to college is uh, just a drive to pittsburgh so to us that was the city and that's the, i felt yeah. a connection to that and then after cruise ships i lived there you know in between things i would be the whole time i was with maynard i lived in pittsburgh so mm. um and then moving away kind of put a spotlight on my feelings about pittsburgh as a community and a jazz community i wanted to be a part of that when i was living in austin i was i worked up my to my second record while i was in pittsburgh do you understand mm. like i was being pittsburgh yeah, yeah. for something and just then schedule another session and um, and did it with the Pittsburgh guys because it was just I realized I was part of the scene and I miss the scene, you know. Mm, yeah. Um, and now they're talking about Pittsburgh as having a jazz renaissance. Mm. There's a lot going on here right now. Yeah. If you if you Google Pittsburgh jazz renaissance, you'll see what I'm talking about because there's all <laughs> kinds of different presenters, clubs, musicians. It's a great oh. scene now, um, and um, I, I couldn't be more thrilled that it's happening here because Pittsburgh That's has an all. incredible jazz history. Yeah, yeah, um, and that continues so with the people who are playing now. Yeah, the musicians, you know, mm-hmm. the clubs, the scene, but the musicians. And there's there's lots and lots of great. I mean, you know, for the size of the city, it's it's a really strong jazz scene. I think it's because of the roots of the music here. Mm-hmm. I was looking on the map and it's like, it's not far. Like Toronto's like four hours away. New York city's like four hours away. Philly's not that far. It's like, there's all these tentacles. Yeah. <laughs> and we do that. We'll drive to Toronto for a gig. I've done that. New York city, obviously mm-hmm. DC, as you mentioned. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty good spot geographically. And there's all, all Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. Not too far. All right, Detroit's not that far. I, I've worked in Detroit a ton. Have you done much with any Canadian musicians? Uh, well, Maynard there? Ferguson's from Montreal. Okay. And then, um, you know, there's there was, yeah, I've absolutely worked with a bunch of them. I got to work a little bit with Tom Cochran um, mm-hmm. and his musical director, Bill Bell. Um I'm trying to think what else, who else I may have come across. And there's, there's, there's a lot of good musicians from up there. There were guys on Maynard's band like Earl McDonald and Kelsey, mm. Kelsey Grant, trombonist, um, uh, and others that were uh, Will Bonas, great musicians that you know got their visas and came to New York or yeah. hooked up with the band. You know, so yeah, were a lot of cool. great Canadians. What is um? I wanted to ask what your what your practice uh what your general practice routine looks like these days. Mm. I mean, I know you've got like you know all brass players. There's there's physical maintenance, but 
in turn beyond that are you is it like tune learning are you transcribing or is it more gig specific um it just kind of depends on what i've got going on but like mm-hmm. you said that that quote unquote routine is there to gauge you know where i'm like to warm up and kind of get all the cylinders firing flexibility and tonguing and all that stuff that stuff is a constant thing you know so doing that you out of your warm-up you evolve into some technical stuff i do um and sometimes like you said it is gig driven so i played a gig Mm -hmm. yesterday that i had to you know i still had to do my warm-ups and my 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 routine but did a gig yesterday with an artist here a pianist deanna wikowski and she was doing a whole set of mary lou williams music which is mm. not your standard fare and is challenging. So that yeah. dictated, you know, and then you learn a lot from being in that position though. Mm-hmm. Having to learn music for different gigs. I mean, you're like, you have to, you have, sometimes you, you run across something in the music that you're not um, quite ready for. And then it puts you in a position to sort that out. Mm-hmm. You know, to have to address, say, oh, I am having a technical hangup here that I need to to work on, so I can, so I can do this, you know, right. So, um, but I, um, you know, I, it's kind of like when I'm, uh, I, I mean, everything at some point. I mean, I also I'll, I'll I'll shed scales, I'll shed I'll shed tunes, and I'll also do some transcribing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I don't, when you transcribe, are you writing it out or are you just learning it by ear? Sometimes I do it by ear, but then also like, again, a job slash, I mean, I mean, I, I was asked to transcribe tracks from a Lee Morgan record. So I'm transcribing, not just the, like a solo, but the core changes and you're transcribing the okay. form, um, and trying to get inside of it. And so you really have to get inside of a tune to say, okay, these are the chord changes. This is the melody right. in the right times. <laughs> and when I do that, transcribe from the audio into the software, that you never forget that tune then because you're really, really learning it. That's one way yeah. to really learn it because you're picking it up by ear and then communicating it into the fina- into finale. Sure. Um, do you, when you're learning a new standard, do you, um, well, two questions. Do you reference uh, historical recordings, mm. and then and then also do you do you learn it at the piano as well? Yes, all that. Reference historical recordings. Reference the lyrics. Um, try to uh, see what the similarities are because there's you know standards. Standards have have a lot of commonalities, so you could learn mm-hmm. a tune very quickly that reminds you of something else. Yeah, like oh, that's like the bridge to Perdido, and you know this melody sounds a little bit like this. It's, you know, the form is always a great indicator of how your brain is going to process it because, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times something's twelve bars, sixteen, thirty-two, that kind of thing, intro, outro. Then you get into more mu- modern music, and you don't have that. You don't have right. that much standardization. You get it, but there's still a lot of commonalities, <clears throat> even in modern jazz. 
because you could get you could do a modern jazz thing it's like just very abstract and you know has an odd maybe has a 14 bar a section and a weird five bar mm -hmm. bridge and you know goes into another time signature and key signature but um that's there's somehow if you can just see there's something in the brain that clicks when you when you realize that it's connected to everything that came before it you know got it yeah um so by ear definitely if i have any questions about something to look at it at site and say oh what's the chord changes to this and like there's certain chord changes on tunes people have a hard time it's like why do i always forget the second to the last chord change in nardis or something you know and then if you don't if you don't give it to yourself through the ears and the muscle memory just looking at it's not enough right yeah I struggle with the AABA form because <laughs> cause then you're like, which A is this? Yeah. <laughs> Some tunes are when traps. The... Some tunes are real right. traps. <laughs> you know. Um, now, what I do is, you know, there's one, like what Roger, we played with Roger Humphreys, and then we'll do one by one. This is a Blakey mm -hmm. tune by Wayne Shorter wrote, and it's an AABB. And the second half of the B kind of, kind of sounds like the second half of the A, and then another A. So <laughs> it, it, what he'll do is chop that last A and just do A, A, B. Oh. It makes so much sense, you know? Right. We're like, oh, of course. Because <laughs> you're soloing and you're like, I don't know, I've, I've, you've had that experience where you're soloing and you're like, wait, which A is this? Yeah. And yeah. then you're praying to God the B comes around. So you're like, okay, great. There's the B. Now I know where <laughs> From his album, One for Miles, One for Maynard, this one's called Chalanata. listening to these days what what um what's on your or do you listen much i listen a lot um both um at home and at work uh i've been working at con alma which is mm -hmm. uh, a jazz club here in pittsburgh with two locations um and i'm doing band uh i'm a like a musician liaison there um which mm -hmm. involves spinning records because they have a turntable at both of the locations so oh, fun. when you're hanging there you they've got gigantic record collection so um i've had access to that record collection 
which has been great because they've got a lot of classic stuff, classic reissued mm -hmm. stuff, and then also some of the artists that come through that aren't just from Pittsburgh, guys from New York, Philly, et cetera, that come through and leave their albums before they leave town. So there's this amazing thing going on there. Um, but I've been trying to keep an eye on, uh, because I've listened to so much classic music, I, I really like hearing what people are doing now. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways I can do that, I have a, uh, you know, the Smalls Live Foundation. I have, you know, I pay the t $10 a month and you can do that and then you have access to their archives. Mm. So Smalls, way before the pandemic, through the pandemic and, and now has cataloged everything and been live streaming every day that they've been open. Damn. <laughs> so if you go onto smallslive.com and you check it out, anyway, go and check it out and you'll see that there's so many things there. And a lot of that, you know, you can look back 10 or 15 years or you can look to last night and see who played. You know? Wow. But I think it's really important to keep an eye on what um, the next generation is doing. And these young people like Emmanuel Wilkins, um, Joel Ross, those guys come to mind for me. At, they're at the forefront of creative music, you know, so-called mm -hmm. jazz. Um, so right. th that kind of stuff. Just, just, and everybody that I've met through the Orrin Evans band and and everything. It's like the New York scene and also the Pittsburgh scene. There's an incredible amount of <laughs> creative stuff going on here. So I like, you know, um, I I like. I, I'm just a music addict, you know, so things don't, I don't, in jazz, I like avant-garde, but I also like trad music. I like everything in between. I'm try, still trying mm -hmm. to figure out what my, you know, <laughs> lane is because there's a lot sure. of music that I like. Yeah. Um, Maybe you'll pick up the tuba and get in a trad, trad band again. I wouldn't rule it out. <laughs> I've been asked recently more than once. That would be so fun. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you know, I work with postmodern jukebox. Oh yeah, and again, it's like? not my lane, but I'm able to back <laughs> them up. And and there's uh there's some really excellent people there. You know, trombonist. Um, I met trombonist uh, Gunhild Carling there. She's from she's mm. from Sweden. She's like a, a phenom, multi instrumentalist from a musical family, real trad. And so, um, that's been an interesting peek into that world. I bet. Yeah, I bet stride pianists and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Really cool. Do you remember the first uh, recording you ever bought, or one of them? Uh, it was Steve Winwood album. Mm hmm. Yeah, CDs were kind of coming out, but then right. I got into jazz, <laughs> and the record store um, mm -hmm. had cassettes that i was from the cassette era so i had blue right. train i had like classic blue note stuff i was getting blue train um you know uh uh joe henderson record lee morgan like uh, there all this blue net blue note stuff and impulse stuff on the on, on the tape shelves at the record store so i i would at the time was buying a lot of tapes and again if you're my age you'll 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 relate to this taping things off of jazz radio at night yep <laughs> With your cassette, mm -hmm. yeah, I had a dual I would do that too. thing. I would wake up and I would press the other one, and then I, at a certain point, I could drive myself to high school. So I would listen on the way, pop it in the cassette. <laughs> right. What is uh, these are sort of my yeah. rapid fire last okay. round of questions. Right. Um, 
Tell me about one of the worst gigs you ever had. Okay. The one of the worst gigs I ever had. Um this is the short version. Okay. <laughs> we went to play a New Year's gig in at a casino in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And and the thought was that we were going to play some tunes, play Old Anxiety, and be done. Easy peasy. Mm-hmm. And it's a long yeah. time ago. So we go to play the gig. And I had two black guys in my band. We walk in this place, all white people. So we just, it, 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 and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you had the feeling mm-hmm. in that case that it was. So mm. we're there, we're doing our thing. We hang in the hotel room. We go to play the gig. The owner of the place sends multiple people up to ask me to pick it up. Now, on the band, we had myself. I mean, this gig was me, another horn player, upright bass, and drums. That's it. (laughs) Which is fine for a jazz cocktail set. Yeah. But they kept asking me. The third person that came up was a state police officer. So I walked back to the guy, and he goes, uh, he said, now listen, he hands me a list. And on the list is Dolly Parton, um, Willie Nelson, <laughs> Lee Greenwood. Mm-hmm. He said, now look, I said, hey, I didn't know this was going to be this way. I thought, you know, I think you've got, they sent the wrong man for your thing. He said, I don't want to hear it. He said, is this are, are we are we should I say what exactly what he said? Is that is that okay? Steve? Sure, yeah, go for it. Yeah, <laughs> he said, you guys. And they said, I don't want to hear any more of this shit. You guys are going to go back. You're going to go back over there, and you're going to play these tunes like they are on the record, or you're going to pack up your stuff and you're going to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> so I said, fair enough. So I took the list. I walked back to the bandstand and said, guys, guys. They stop. I said, stop. Pack up your instruments. We are leaving right we're now. We're going home. <laughs> and we're going to get out of here in one trip. So everybody, you know, grab. You know, so right. we get all the stuff. Got it. You know, got it out of there. The guy, as we're packing up, the guy comes on the, the loudspeaker and says, ladies and gentlemen, we are so sorry. There's a DJ on the way. This is obviously the wrong band. We really apologize. Please hang in. We've got a DJ. Should be here in 30 minutes. And uh, so we get out there and we're thinking, man, we've got to get some money for this. So I went to the lady and I, and my friend and I walked out, Hey, can, oh, can we get paid? And, and, and then we realized there's maybe nine police officers encircling us as we're having this conversation with this. Oh lady. no. <laughs> and then one of them gets in and we get in our cars and then one of them gets in a, a pickup truck and follows us out of town. And oh, down geez. there, there's no street lights. I mean, it's like we're in the dark, and there's a pickup truck behind us with a police officer in it. <laughs> That's not intimidating. <laughs> and we've just been, you know. So, wow. That's intense. So, the story's not over. So, I said, hey, guys, <laughs> okay. I felt horrible. I said, look, I'll buy us a hotel room. Let's get a hotel room because it's a long drive back. It's New Year's Eve. We'll just chill. And, um, and and go back tomorrow. I'm sorry. Let's get a hotel room and just hang and toast the new year. And so we did. It was kind of cramped, and 
five o'clock in the morning rolls around and the fire alarms go off in this hotel. So now by 515, we're all standing in the street <laughs> for hours as they're trying to deal with whatever was going on there, which was more likely just somebody pulling a fire alarm, you know? Right. Oh, jeez. That's the end of the story. <laughs> okay, so contrast that with one of the best gigs that you ever had. One of the best gigs I ever had? Yeah, well, I would have to say one of the most memorable, and again, there's lots of things that stand out because sure, musically, um, there's been so many, but I, you know, I one that that is definitely um, worth mentioning is playing at Aretha Franklin's funeral. Oh my! Yeah, that was an unbelievable experience. Um, I can't imagine. And so I was asked to do that from my Detroit friends, um, mm -hmm. in particular Kenny Robinson. He's a trumpet player there. Contracted the horns for that. And I went up there with my friend Chris Hemingway, and we played the funeral. I sat right behind Al Sharpton, Louis Farrakhan, and uh, Jesse Jackson, you know. And um, wow. behind me was a choir of a hundred and plus people. I mean, the next row behind me started the hundred plus choir. Mm. Um, and in the green wow. room, you had people like Eric Holder and Ariana Grande, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, Ron Isley. I mean, it was like, it was unbelievable. Wow. What an honor to be able to do that. Wow. Yeah, that was that was a that was a big one, and I had played for Aretha, you know, when she was alive, maybe mm -hmm. five or six times in the horn section. Um, what was that like? It was incredible. I always liked the uh, the moment when we would, you know, there would be a part in the show where you, we would turn off the stand lights, and for five or six tunes, she would just do her own thing, mm. spotlight on her at the piano, and then we would just sit there and absorb that. <laughs> so it was incredible, you know, and she was old school, so she would pay you cash into your hand, <laughs> you know. <laughs> this is known about her. The purse, you know, she the purse would be the money she just got paid onto the stage right next to her. You know, super old school Motown. Wow. Um Yeah. But uh yeah, it was a privilege, a, a real privilege to play with somebody of that caliber. Yeah, I can't imagine the energy on stage with someone like that. I mean, you had the Staple Sisters. You had you had people you wouldn't believe. I I never I never there'll never be another experience like that. I just can't imagine. You know, not to mention the hundreds of pink Cadillac SUVs parked outside and yeah. people just everywhere, you know, at this church in Detroit. Wow. Cuz she was royalty, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh, her recordings are just, yeah. Her legacy. Yeah. Something else. Yep. Are you a coffee or a tea guy? Or do you drink I'm, those sort of beverages? I'm a coffee guy. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Me too. I, I can't live without my coffee. There's some, I'm surprised, there's some musicians who are tea. <laughs> or my brother-in-law cool. doesn't drink any hot beverages. 
Doesn't bring any no hot, hot beverages. beverages. No desire. Wow. Different strokes, you know? <laughs> Different strokes. <laughs> For sure. So what's uh, what's on your calendar? What's coming up that you're excited about? Well, I, I have my every Wednesday um, that happens tonight and every Wednesday of, with my trio, which is a great situation. Uh, I play a gig at a place called Quantum Spirits in my neighborhood on mm -hmm. Wednesdays. And and uh, that gives me a chance to play and also suss out my original material. Mm -hmm. But I've also got like, I've got some postmodern jukebox dates on the books. Um, there's a trip to Alaska and a trip to the West Coast coming up i've also mm -hmm. got some orrin evans captain black big band uh a week which is really unusual to have that much work with that band <coughs> consecutively so we'll do monday night at smalls tuesday and wednesday in seattle thursday in portland friday saturday philadelphia when are you guys in portland um the you know? yeah the dates Or is June 6th through the 11th? Portland would be the 8th of June. Huh. Maybe I'll drive up. It'd be great. Be cool I wish to, you would. It'd be cool to ch check it out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, and there's a lot. Again, I said Con, Con Alma here in Pittsburgh. I'm playing there frequently and mm -hmm. and for some of the other presenters here. So, um, yeah. I personally have been like very busy. And, and again, I, you know, yeah. The wedding things, a lot of people are, you know, that's, I'm trying to keep that contained, but there's, there's so much work now for people trying to catch up with concerts yeah. and gigs, et cetera. Yeah. This feels like live music is finally, <laughs> fingers crossed, yeah. 2022. And, you know, yeah. I, I think it's, I think people realize, like, come and see it now. If, if, you know, if there's another spike or a new variant, it could affect things. So, appreciate it and support it while it's happening yeah where can people learn more about you resi if they want to like do you do you give lessons too or do you teaching i do give lessons um workshops mm -hmm. um and uh best way to get me is through my website reggiewatkinsmusic.com okay um but i still got a lot are you on social on media, social media also? as well um I kind of keep a running thing on Facebook. There's a lot of people that get dates and reminders from Facebook. So you can get a sense for where I'm playing on there as well. Awesome. Reggie, great to talk to you. Great to hear your stories. Great to connect. And I'm going to do my best to get up there in June. That, that would be really a lot of fun to hear the band and, and uh, reconnect. Man, Steve, thank you so much, man. Good to reconnect with you. Steve here one more time. Thanks again for listening to the show. I really do appreciate you being such loyal listeners. And drop me a line. I love to hear from people. If uh, you enjoyed the show or something touched you about the show, leave a comment wherever you're listening or head to the website and you can sign up for the newsletter and drop me a line there as well. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and I uh, always enjoy hearing from the audience. It was really a lot of fun to reconnect with Reggie. I'm glad you got to hear his stories. And if you want to find out more about him, check out his website, reggiewatkinsmusic.com. He's got some tours coming up this summer. So if you're out and about, you might get a chance to hear him, which would be 
super fun. And also, as always, check out our website, theplayfulmusician.com. You can hear other past episodes and read show notes from this show and all past shows. Thanks again. Take good care, and we'll see you back here again really soon.